Дорогие друзья, приветствую вас любовью Господа Иисуса Христа. Вы не переживайте, я проповедовать по-русски не буду, я просто вас хотела захватить ваше внимание и положить вас в неловкое положение. Um, guys, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to, them, to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to, them, to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the, that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn that took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the men who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So as we continue our series on loving the neighbor, uh, the neighbor in this case um, is a foreigner. Um, I don't think it was an accident that Jesus made these two people from different places. I think the story could have been told just as well if both of these guys were from Israel. But Jesus chose a, a Samaria, basically a place that the Jews hated. Um, both David Menenberg and Jacob, when they preached, they went into the historicity a bit of how Samaria was formed, but it was basically a hodgepodge of different people groups from, from when the Assyrians uh, were taking over Israel. And uh, so you have this people group um, who have different customs. They eat different food, probably. I'm sure they ate bacon. Um, and they have different cultures. They worship God differently. They probably have a lot of idols. And the Jews hate them because they're a whole separate race from them. You know, there's a lot of things that the Samari Samar made Samaritans hateful to the Jews, um, like they're specifically the mixed ethnic groups. And so, basically, the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, as written in John 4. You know, I don't know, I'm not going to speculate on what exactly that means, but I think it's safe to say that the Jews did not like the Samaritans. And so, as is the kind of the tradition with the Jews, with the land of Israel, they conveniently ignored this law as well. Um, there was a lot of jubilee laws, but, I mean, this specifically, 
that the Jews hated all foreigners that came into their land. I mean, they probably had something to do with uh, the Roman Empire taking them over, but, I mean, even before that. And so it's important to establish this because from the very beginning of the formation of Israel, God had placed a law and gave them a law that the Jews were specifically to take care and not wrong the foreigners. And we go back to Exodus 22, when God is giving the law to Moses, it gets pretty specific. You shall not wrong the foreign or the sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. I'm real quick, the uncommon word here is sojourner. And um, basically, you can think of sojourners as somebody not from around here. Um, basically anybody, a stranger, foreigner, people from different people groups, people from other states, people who have a different accent, anybody who's not from your immediate circle but is on a journey with you. That's why the term sojourners. But you can basically think of them as foreigners in this context because of the Samaritans. And so going back to Exodus 22, God is saying to Israel, it's like, you guys are supposed to take care of these people. You're supposed, they're supposed to, they're going to live among you and be with you as if they were your own. And so over the, what the Jews are doing, basically, we could tell is they're hating all foreigners. Um, God reminds Israel again in Deuteronomy 10, 19, love the sojourner. He's even taking it further. It's not like do no wrong to the sojourner, but it's love the sojourner, meaning love the foreigner. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Um, and he's reminding them that the in fact, you guys know what it was like to be foreigners. You guys know what it's like to be strangers in a foreign land where everybody hates you. There's no reason for you to not love strangers that come into your land. And then uh, what's amazing is that before Israel was formed, Job, in 31-32, uses the fact that he took care of sojourners or foreigners um, as defending his righteousness before God. We read, The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. What Job is saying to his friends before God is like, look, I, I completed your law. I love the foreigner. There's no way that there's no reason for me to be condemned or punished the way I am. If you, uh, going back to the story of Job. And then we go further as God is prophesying in Ezekiel 47. Um, this is after Israel has been taken over by Babylon and uh, etc. In Ezekiel 47, 21, we read, So you shall divide this land among you according to the tribes of Israel. You shall allot it as an inheritance for yourself and for the sojourners who reside among you and have had children among you. They shall be to you as native-born children of Israel. With you they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the sojourner resides, there you shall assign him his inheritance, declared the Lord God. Now this fulfillment, the prophecy that God gives to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel, has not happened at that point in time. But he's reminding them, look, when you guys get a new city and a new land, 
the sojourners or the foreigners who are among you at that point are supposed to be as one, as one of you. Um, it, we could do it in the whole series of sermons of who the land, uh, like the, who these people are um, and what this prophecy means. But the most important fact is God takes this matter seriously. And he's even prophesying that in the future, you guys are supposed to love the foreigners among you and should probably pay attention. Um, and so, you know, how seriously does God take this uh, fact? Um, we read, we go back into Ezekiel and read a little bit earlier in chapter 22, uh, verse 1 through 8. And it reads, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Then declare to her all her abominations. You shall say, Thus says the Lord God, A city that sheds blood in her midst, so that her time may come, and that makes idols to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood that you have shed, and defiled by the idols that you have made, and you have brought your days near an appointed time of your years to come. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all the countries. Those who are near and those who are far from you will mock you. Your name is defiled. You are full of tumult. Behold, the princes of Israel in you. Everyone according to his power has been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widows are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. Um, here we see a list of Israel's sins that they have committed before God and for which God is condemning them. And uh, most of the book of Ezekiel is God's judgment over Israel and him promising that how Israel would be punished. And so it's a pretty, pretty scary list, right? You have bloodshed. You have a nation that's going to be under reproach by those who are near and who are far. And in the same list, he lists, you know, father and mother are treated with contempt, and the sojourner suffers extortion. And when you think about that, when God is pointing out to a nation the fact that one of their sins is that they did, did not love the foreigners among them, they weren't even indifferent to them, they, uh, they mistreated them. And in this case, God points out that they, uh, the sojourners suffered extortion among them. That has a pretty, you know, when God says you messed up, you probably messed up pretty bad in this regard. And so with God, and this, this idea of taking care and loving people who are other than you is uh, pretty serious. Um, and thus, it has eternal implications so the next question is, why does God take this so seriously? Why does he care that the nation of Israel took care of the foreigners among them? Um, you know, they were his special people. They were supposed to get special privileges. Um, they were supposed to be God's little special nation. They were supposed to be set apart and perfect, and yet God says, you guys are supposed to care and love for the people that come into your midst who are not of you. And so... I think the biggest reason is, and, uh, is because the nation of Israel were supposed to represent God to other nations. 
when God was uh, promising Abraham before Israel was formed, before you know, anybody was born, in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and as the sand that is on a seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So the nation of Israel was supposed to always, from the beginning, represent God to all the nations. And they were not only supposed to take, you know, take possession of the land and kill of God's, uh, God's enemies like they did when they, free, uh, when they were taking over the land of Canaan. But after that, once their kingdom was established, um, anybody who went through Israel was supposed to look at Israel and be amazed at how awesome God is. I mean, a little geography lesson, but Israel is located right in the middle, in the point of a number of continents. You know, you have the Mediterranean Sea, which is a huge trading ground. You have, it's basically a gateway to Africa. It, like, touches the Middle East and thus into Asia. I mean, the Silk Road crossed through that part of the region. And then you have connections to Europe. And so we see a little bit of that foretaste of... Uh, all the nations coming through Israel when Solomon, you know, built, Solomon reigns and it's the height of Israel's glory. But from the very beginning, God's goal was that so nation would be there, or Israel would be there in the middle of all these other countries and that people would go there to trade or whatever they, because Israel was going to be so awesome and that they were going to show other nations this is our God. And you have tons of reminders through their Old Testament of where people have heard of the nation of Israel and how he freed them from Egypt. They were amazed at how awesome God was. But what Israel was doing when they were you know, committing extortion and hating all these sojourners among them was saying, hey, this is how we represent our God. Our God, what, we're basically, what they were doing is saying, our God hates you guys. Our God is there strictly for us, and we're not going to share him which is the opposite of what God intended for the nation of Israel. So what Israel was doing was belittling and defaming God before all the nations of the earth instead of being a blessing uh, to all the nations. Specifically when God said, you know, go back to Exodus and all those verses and you shall not wrong the sojourner. You shall love the sojourner. And so... Uh, the next question is, what does that have to do with us, right? Um, Israel was a long time ago. Uh, we're different. We're all over the world. And so I think the, the reason is why this is important for us and why Jesus was telling the story of the Good Samaritan was uh, we are his chosen people. Um, Jesus, God brought us out of the world of darkness and made us different. He made us God's representatives to all the earth. I think one of the verses that best describes this is 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light, into his marvelous light. Um, so 
the heart of God did not change towards people. Um, the heart of God did not change of the way his people respond to and uh, treat other people. Um, the heart of God did not change for his glory. And it's his every inten intention as the people of God, as his children, that we proclaim his excellencies everywhere we go, everywhere we live. Um, Apostle John affirms this in 1 John uh, 2, 10. As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people I will call my people, and her who is not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. What God did for us is he has given us a new identity in him. He made us his children. He showed us this amazing love. And so the way this relates to the story of the Good Samaritan, and I don't think that Jesus, when telling this story, accidentally or mistakenly placed, the, you know, made the protagonist of the story the Samaritan, I think that was very intentional on his part because when we become God's children, we become the foreigners in a strange land. As uh, weird as that might sound, let's uh, read 1 Peter 2, 10. It says, Once you were not my people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on a day of visitation. So the parallel here is that if we, the church, place ourselves as the Good Samaritan, you know, that metaphor, as the church is the Good Samaritan in this story, things become a little more interesting and clear. The fact is, when God brought us up out of this world, he made us strangers to this world. I mean, he promises that the world is going to hate us. He promises that the world is going to despise us. He's going to hate our customs. The world is going to hate our cultures, the fact that we love Jesus. And that parallel with the Good Samaritan story, the Israelites hated the Samaritans. They hated everything about them. But yet when it came time to help, when the, it was the Good Samaritan that showed mercy and showed love to the, to the person that was lost, that was dying. And so that same calling is upon us. So when we fail to love, when we fail to show mercy, what we're doing is showing this world this is what our God is like. That's why, that's why it's important to love everybody around us. I mean, these sermons for the past couple of weeks are going to sound similar, but that's because you interchange anybody in the place of the, of the fallen victim there, and it's going to make sense and it's going to be true. What's different is the way that we look at people and we approach people. You know, we're the ones that separate between foreigners and the oppressed and, and the enemies, but the fact of the matter is, Everybody who belongs to God is a foreigner, and everybody who's in the world is native who needs Jesus Christ. Um, Paul, uh, in Philippians 3, 4, makes this point again. He 
He said, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what Jesus is calling to Paul is defining here. What he's saying is that everything that, that's me, Paul, that I identify with, my identity, I count as loss. Meaning he lists his, uh, you know, his belonging to the people of Israel, his ethnic group, his tribe, Benjamin. You know, as to the law, a Pharisee, which is also his political party, his affiliation, uh, his zeal, a persecutor of the church, meaning his career, as bad as that may have been, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, meaning he was a fundamentalist, uh, a nationalist to the, to the uh, nation of Israel. But when he received the call, when God stopped him in his tracks, Paul said, you know, everything that made me, me, I don't care about that anymore. You know, Participating and blessing this nation is important, but what Jesus is calling us is to a higher calling. What he's saying is like your heavenly citizenship, the fact that you're a foreigner is a lot more important now. And if your heart is committed to God, you'll say like Paul, I don't care about all these things. There's a person who's dying and needs my help. And so our eyes, our hearts should be towards the fact that, look, there are people who don't know God. There are people who are dying in the streets. There are people who may never hear the gospel. And there's a lot of things, but there's still things in us that prevent us from preaching the gospel or loving our neighbor because they're foreigners. They're strangers. They're from a different country. Their customs are weird. You know, we don't like the smell of their food or the taste. Uh, we don't like the fact that they, uh, they have arranged marriages. Uh, we don't like the fact that they beat their kids or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There are a lot of things that will prevent us from uh, loving people because we put our national identity and our, our culture first. But when Jesus died, he put us above all that. Um, he said, you guys, you guys are my people now. You guys are my children. Everything that made you, you, you know, I took it on the cross and gave you a greater identity. You belong to me now. You belong to my family. And uh, I know I might sound like I'm making a political statement in a lot of areas, but beloved, I don't care who you vote for. I don't care what political party you belong to. Um, 
you know, I don't think it's an accident. There's a lot of things in the news that are being bombarded us every day, and there's a lot of different viewpoints. But Jesus is calling us to take a higher viewpoint and be like him, saying, it doesn't matter what nation you're from. If you need my help, I'm going to love you and take care of you. And the reason for that is because, in the end, um, the bride of Christ is going to be made up of all the nations of the earth. Whether we like it or not, you know, it's going to be beneficial for us to get used to that while we're here on earth. Because when we get there, it's going to be pretty scary if uh, there's somebody from, uh, say, Iraq that we didn't like because they were, quote-unquote, terrorists. They're going to be standing and praising Jesus next to you. And, uh, you know, it's going to, you probably should start getting used to that. And uh, as we prepare the Lord's Supper, I would like us to think about that fact that in eternity we'll be standing next to all the nations. In Revelation, Jesus reminds us of that. that uh, in Revelation 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and the peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And there's a lot of divisiveness, and no matter how much Satan tempts people to be divisive about all the different immigration issues, um, the fact is that God is going to win, whether we like it or not, whether we stand on his side or not. I mean, God already promised. He showed us the ending in Revelation, meaning, you know, this is going to happen. What depends on us is that are we going to align ourselves with God's plan Are we going to align ourselves with God's love? Are we going to step into that and love everybody around us? Um, One of the coolest things is the fact that he's bringing people from all nations into our our neighborhoods, into our, and there are our neighbors, literally. Um, You know, there's different statistics out there, but the range is that between 30 to 40% of people who live on the east side are not native-born Americans. Um, I bet every one of you here who works could think of somebody who's not born in this country, who speaks a different language, potentially. You know, but it's difficult. There are still things in us, in our sinful flesh, that prevent us from doing that. And so my prayer is that we accept and embrace this new identity in Jesus. Uh, The identity that says, I belong to God. And I can overcome my uh, earthly and fleshly temptations to hate something or dislike something. God placed us here for a reason. I mean, there's not by accident that God placed risen hope in such a diverse area. And it's just amazing the way that we began this service today with thinking and praying about the gospel being preached to other nations. And this is the good news, folks. Um, God is going to do what he said he will. And uh, whether we go into this this mission that he placed before us, that's going to be on us. Um, it's not easy, I know, 
I grew up here. I lived in the, in the States for the last 27 years. I know what it's like to the need to defend the U.S. Uh, because it's the greatest nation in the world whenever somebody brings up a fact counter to that. Uh, I know what it's like to also be hated and be told where, you know, to go back where I'm from. And, uh, you know, as, as Christians, as uh, Jesus, uh, followers of Jesus, in this nation, we still get to enjoy the privilege and the freedom to be free, but to speak and to worship Jesus. But uh, your, your loyalties would change after you get thrown into jail for loving Jesus. And so we have this amazing opportunity to freely love the foreigners because we are uh, Jesus' followers. Um, in a minute, we're going to take the cup and uh, drink the wine that represents the blood of Christ, the blood that was spilled on our behalfs um, to free us from all our earthly bonds. And that possibly could be a bond uh, to, to the citizenship of, of America. It could be a bond to our ethnic group or to our specific culture. But Jesus is... Uh, given us freedom to embrace our new identity in him, to be citizens of heaven, and to love all people in all nations as he loved us first. Because we know better than anybody what it's like to live being oppressed by sin, and we tasted this freedom in him. And so do we love our neighbors to be able to desire that same thing for them so that they taste the freedom and the love of Jesus Christ? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, uh, who are in heaven, thank you for this amazing privilege and love that you have shown us to be and to be called your children, Lord. Um, there are many nations around us who don't know you, Father. Because, and that testament to the fact that Wycliffe exists, that there are still thousands of people who don't know you who still need the gospel preached to them, Lord. And thank you for putting us in a place that is diverse and you've given us an opportunity, a foretaste of what it's like to live among different peoples and different nations because that's what it's going to be like in heaven, Lord. So I pray you open up our hearts. Give us the joy that we need to love the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.